Hello, everyone. I'm Graham Waldrop, and with me, as always, is Adam Kalal, and we are Atlanta's Own, a sports podcast dedicated to giving you the definitive, wacky, and weird side of insight to Atlanta professional sports. Adam, how's it going, sir? It's pretty good. Uh, just got back from a bachelor party in Utah, ski trip. Um, did get the chance to catch up at Atlanta sports, and while I was there, guess who I saw on the side of their arena? What arena? Basketball arena. Oh, the Utah Jazz? Yeah. Paul Millsap? Nope. Current player? Gordon Hayward? Joe Johnson. Joe Johnson's on the Jazz? Hell yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah. It, he's apparently good enough out there to be on their... Uh... He's on the banner. Uh, yeah. That's pathetic. Well, it's it was, one of like four players, but... If it was ten years ago, that might be an accomplishment. Yeah, but Joe was there, so... Respect. There we go. I so Joe. Yep. <laughs> Anyways, moving on to our Falcons report here. This is all things related to the Falcons, be it news, speculation, or insight. Uh, the first thing we're going to start off with is the biggest news of last week, which was Dontari Poe was signed to a one-year $8 million deal. He visited with multiple teams, including Jacksonville, Miami, and Oakland. For those of you who don't know about Dontari Poe, um, he's a defensive tackle from Kansas City. And had great seasons in 2013 and 14. Uh, ten and a half total sacks, um, 51 and 46 total tackles in 2013 and 2014, respectively. Had a big drop off in his play the last couple seasons, especially last year. And he was uh, seemingly healthy, even though he had some herniated disc issues. Um, he wasn't. He started all 16 games, so he was healthy enough to play. Only two and a half total sacks combined, uh, and his tackle total went down as well to about 27 last season in terms of combined tackles so um but at the same time big name signing can definitely uh play at an elite level and it's uh, an interesting move for the team in terms of how it helps us outside of just the defensive line but the impact it's going to have on guys like Deion Jones and Grady Jarrett in terms of you got Poe who's about 6'6 or 6'3 346 and then he's going to open up the middle for guys like Jarrett and Deion Jones. So I think it could definitely be a, uh, a big help. Adam, what was your reaction to the uh, to the signing? Well, first of all, a lot of those stats are a little misleading coming from a 3-4 system in uh, Kansas City. So I think that was a big part of the reason he wanted to come to Atlanta is Dan Quinn definitely sold him a little bit on getting into this system. And there's there are those young playmakers on our defense that he's excited about playing with. And as he was put in his press conference, he's going to be able to just play ball in a four-three system. So yeah, and that's I think exception. he's jacked about that. Absolutely, and I think he's. Uh, it'll be an interesting fit to see how he works for the four-three because when you play with a three-four, pretty much through your entire career, and he was sort of the the guy up the middle to stop the run, just a fat body in the middle, right? And he's still going to be that in a sense, but at the same time, you know, he's been saying a lot last week, uh, making his rounds of the press that you know. He's really excited to also get off, you know, get to the uh, get to the quarterback. So it's going to be interesting to see if he can blow some plays up in terms of you know on passing plays. Right. Yeah. And the guy's only he's only 26 years old. Uh, he said it himself. He thinks his best football is ahead of him. Mm-hmm. Um, out of Memphis University. So yeah. he was one of these like late bloomers to the game of football. Mm-hmm. Uh, never actually played football until high school, where his high school coach saw him. Uh, practicing for marching band and said, son, report to football tomorrow morning. So he's a late bloomer, and I'm excited to see what he's going to do coming along here. Yeah, and like I said, I, I really can't wait to see how this impacts Deion Jones and Grady Jarrett. Oh, yeah. And with the amount of depth you have at defensive line now, you know, you got 
Grady Jarrett, Poe, Claiborne, Claiborne, excuse me, Upshaw, Crawford, Jack Crawford from Dallas, uh, Vic Beasley, and Shelby. So you have you know legitimate star in Beasley, an emerging one in Jarrett, and solid depth everywhere else. Yep. And most of these guys can rotate between defensive tackle and defensive end. So you know, Adam, you might not even need to bring back Dwight Freeney at this point. Yeah, I think we're comfortable where we're at now. It's all of a sudden our line, defensive line, is a bit of a strength. Dare we knock on wood? Right, saying something like that. Um, but yeah, I'm impressed with what they've done so far. And you have, you know, Shelby coming back from an Achilles injury. I believe, hopefully, he's all right there. And Claiborne was having a really nice season until he was, uh, you know, went out for the year. You know, you still. I also have Hageman, who I totally forgot about. Oh yeah. Um, Still developing Hageman, right? And then you can also, there. yeah, and you can also attack uh, the defensive end position in the draft, hopefully. So um, to try and find a complimentary piece for Vic Beasley. For some of you that don't remember the full history on Poe, uh, what was he drafted in the 2012 draft? I know. I mean, I think he's 11th. 11th yeah, 11th, 11th overall. overall. I know he went into that uh, combine projected as kind of a second round type guy, and then just had a huge. Combine the the guys three hundred forty pounds ran a four point nine eight forty, and did like forty four reps at two twenty five, which was just huge. So he's just a physical force, and that that forced him up to number eleven. So, and that was only four years ago. So excited to see where it goes. Yeah, and the and one of the funny parts is about his. Well, it's not really funny. I guess it depends on how you look at it, but. He has a five hundred thousand dollars signing bonus if he can get down to three thirty. From 345. From, he wants to get to 330? That's what the team wants him to get to. Huh. So listen to his pref, press conference today, and he was saying he's best at 335, 340, but I guess the team sees differently, huh? I guess so. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, it's said that he has, uh, you know, incredible physical speed and athleticism yeah. that surpasses the average 340-plus pound man. Right. Yeah, they see him as a pass rusher then, huh? Yeah, I think he's going to be a three-down player. A lot of people are saying he's going to be just a two-down, and I'm sure he'll be spelled, you know, just for an endurance thing. But he did take a hell of a lot of snaps last year right. just over his career. But, I mean, yeah, I think I think we're going to use him as a all indications point towards, you know, from what Quinn is saying, Dimitrov, uh, that he's going to be used as a three-down player. You know what it kind of reminds me of in a way is signing Alex Mack last year. Mm. Not to the same extent. Mack's an older player, um, but... Even only at 26, he's played with a really good defensive front with the Chiefs. So he's going to bring a lot of veteran leadership to Vic and Grady and could be huge for us. So Yeah, and like I said, man, I think Deion Jones is going to have an unbelievable season. The middle is just going to open up so much for him with, with uh, Jarrett and particularly with Poe commanding so much attention. So I'm, I'm pumped about that. Uh, funny thing, too, is that Poe has three offensive touchdowns uh, in his career. If any of you remember seeing, I think it was the Thursday night game against Denver. I'm not sure who it was against, but he was at the, in the goal line formation. He played quarterback, and he took a snap. Looked like he was going to rush it in from about four yards out and then threw sort of an Ephus pitch style uh, pass to the end zone. And it was actually a pretty good-looking pass, yeah. and it was just right on the money. Uh, so maybe we can get him the goal line package at times on offense just to, you know, because people are going to respect that, I think, on on film, even though it's kind of was a bullshit gimmicky play. Right. It was at least, like, always done it. So yeah. you can definitely do it again, so you can either use him as a distraction or try to throw him in there a la Warren Sapp. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's that's kind of fun, too. So it could be a little bit of an extra wrinkle in the goal line offense. Obviously not something that's going to be used that much, but... 
believe and Andy Reid called that one the bloated Tebow. The bloated Tebow. In, the, in his press conference after that one. That's good. Yeah. Did you really do that? Or are you yeah. making that up? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, did, I did my research this week. Yeah, I can tell. Some, some Wikipedia action. <laughs> um, so hopefully Quinn you know, can get him and the defensive coaching staff back to where he was a couple of years ago. But even if he doesn't, he'll make the team better around him. So I'd say this is a, uh, a win-win deal for Dimitrov and Pioli and Dan Quinn. And Atlanta fans, keep this in mind. Despite how painful that Super Bowl loss was and still is, arguably this signing doesn't happen without that national coverage of us even making it that far. Yeah, absolutely. And I heard Poe on uh, John Clayton's podcast this week. Uh, he was interviewing him, mm-hmm. and he was just like, yeah, these guys want to win. And he was offered actually $1 million more in Jacksonville. And he was like, yeah, these guys, Yeah, I can come in here and be a contributor to a winning football team. Yeah, I mean, if going to Jacksonville, you're going to waste three, four years of your life versus in your prime right now. Right. Being able to win a Super Bowl, clearly. I'm sure the whole brothership thing is kind of taken off nationally, too. So, Yeah, and it's actually a legitimate thing. I don't think yeah. it's a – I mean, that team was, was really close. You heard – you know, if you read anything or listened to anything, watched anything, I mean, those guys, that was a close, a tight-knit unit, so. Fun place to play, place to succeed. Yeah, absolutely. So, see, it's a, it's a win-win situation, oh, yeah. I think. Absolutely. The one-year deal, mm-hmm. I get it from his point. He's He could maybe, like, get a Super Bowl this year and then get that huge contract next year with us or with another team, but it's a smart play for a guy, 26. His prime's still ahead of him. Absolutely. So moving on now to the Devonta Freeman news. So everyone freaked out last week after the husband of Freeman's agent was saying they were getting dicked around on Twitter and saying that a possible trade was imminent. So I know radio and newspapers freaked out a little bit. I didn't want to talk about it until we heard from Dimitrov or Freeman just because it was schoolyard bullshit at that point. Um, but it comes out this week that Devonta says, and I quote here, this is the team I want to play for. I'm almost 100% for sure business will be taken care of because we're all in this thing to win and have success. Uh, TD said we want him to be here with us and we are going to address that in the offseason, which is what we should do. I think we're in a good spot with a number of players on the team that we're looking to re-up here, and Devonta's one that we're going to have discussions with. We're confident that we're going to have him for years to come. So you see everyone, stop freaking out until you hear it from the horse's mouth. Fucking Twitter and people who shouldn't be involved in that shit, saying things that they don't understand or aren't involved with firsthand. And then, you know, people waste their time talking about it. So we're here not to report the alternative facts. My thing with it, though, is his agent did say at the Super Bowl that he deserves to be paid like a top three running back. Like, she did say that as a quote at the Super Bowl, uh, which kind of got everything going from the get-go. And my deal is the, the man signed a contract. You should play your contract out. And this isn't Devontae saying it, so I'm not faulting him, but it does make him look bad. But you sign a four-year contract, you play it out. Like, you got this contract based off what you did in college and the projections, and he's going to get paid. There's, I mean, no one's saying he's not going to get paid, but, like, to force it a year early at the Super Bowl, I mean, that is kind of horseshit. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong at all. I think that um, the good... You know, the question we have to ask ourselves here is, was it Freeman that said, hey, agent, go spout to the media, or was it the agent? So I don't necessarily bl- yeah. blame Devonta. I blame his agent. No, I agree. Yeah, like I said, I don't fault Devonta. Yeah, but at the same time, I agree that was a horseshit move. Um, 
but at the same time, you know, it, it still bugs me about the whole Twitter thing where oh, yeah. it's just like, this guy is, doesn't have any idea what the fuck he's talking about. He may be the husband or whatever, or right. the agent, but the fact that we're going off his word, not that we, but people were going off his word right. instead of Devante or yeah, um, yeah. TD is ridiculous to me. So, sounds like a deal is going to happen at some point. I don't think it's going to happen this year because Trufant was given the priority over Freeman. But now with the post signing, we only have about four and a half, five million dollars cap space left. Yeah. So, I don't know how this is going to work out with Trufant now because so we, no deal is done with him. Yeah, correct. no deal is done with with uh, with Trufant. So I wonder, since that was such a priority, did shit just fall through? Or was the post-signing, you know, it sort of came to us and was like, we have an end, so let's do this now and try to win this year and right. then re-up uh, Desmond and Vonta next year. So Trufant and uh, Freeman are in the same boat where they have a contract through this year, but the extension would have to be made. So maybe they'll do it mid-season. Yeah, and I'm not sure how that works out with the salary cap, but that's what I'm hoping for is that they both come back. I mean, you know, Freeman's played on an elite level the last two seasons. Yeah. You know, 1,000 yards rushing. I think he had 1,500 total yards of offense. This is also being spelled by, you know, Tevin Coleman this season as well. So, I mean, he's a major contributor, and I want him back, absolutely. But at the same time, I guess the post-signing was seen as – I guess it went, you know – it went from Trufant, Freeman, whatever, like to Poe, Trufant, Freeman. But now it's just Poe because we have we have to sign our draft picks well, now. Yeah, so. well, like I said, I don't think there should be that much urgency on Freeman and Trufant since they have another year on their contract. Well, Thomas has said that he loves to re-sign players with a year left on their – or extend players with a year left on their – That's his deal, huh? Yeah, year left on their uh, on their contract for yeah. whatever reason. So, you know, that is the way they've done things. That was how the Matt Ryan deal was done. yeah. So I can understand him wanting to be absolutely 100% sure about that, but now he's sort of worked himself into a bit of a corner here with Trufant where there's no way Trufant's going to take like $1 million this year and say, oh, I'll just backload the contract. It's right. not going to happen. So I hope that doesn't mean that we don't, we aren't able to resign both these guys or one of them coming to next season. But it sounds like everybody's on the same page from what Thomas and, and Freeman are saying. So Yeah, they want to play with the Falcons. Yeah. Plus, so, we're in more of a win-now stage than we were a couple of years ago, so maybe the one year left in the contract doesn't work as well now. Right, and it's a contract here, so they're going to ball out as hard as they can. Not that they wouldn't, but yeah. there's an extra incentive there. Oh, sure. Um, so any concerns, no concerns about them coming back? Yeah, I mean, just the agent getting it going like that, it, she's trying to just get this contract up, I think. That's mm-hmm. all she's trying to do is get, get him more money. She was a little irked about the fact that he doesn't get as many touches as some of the top running backs in the game, but I don't, also don't think he'd be as successful were he getting 30 snaps a game. Like, the system we're in, we're, I think it works out well for the players as well. I agree, and Coleman really stepped up last year as an effective spell player. Yeah. And the way they involved both of them in the passing game was outstanding, so I hope we're able to keep both of them for, uh, for many years to come. Yeah. Um, so moving on to our quick hits for the Falcons. So these are just faster updates where we won't ramble as long as we have been. We also oh, we sign- can ramble if we want to. We can ramble. This absolutely. is our show. Indeed. There are no rules. Our 45 viewers from last week. You can all fuck off if you don't want us to ramble. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Andre Roberts of the Lions was signed to a one-year, $1.8 million deal. He was a receiver for the team, but also, more importantly, a big-time special teams player, punt returner, kick returner. Had two touchdowns last year as a punt returner. And also had 14 catches for a touchdown. So he's probably going to be the fourth or fifth receiver and also punt returner and kick returner. And if you get two touchdowns, to me, that's a big upgrade over Mr. Weems. He also did this with only 20 punt returns mm. all season. So two for 20 is pretty damn solid, I would say. Yeah. I watched his highlight reel. I liked it. <laughs> Guy looked like a football player. Oh, yeah. But yeah, replacing Weems, that's what we're looking for. How old did you say this kid is? I'm not sure how old he is. I actually didn't say how old he was. We'll say 27. Yeah, thereabouts probably. But uh, runs a 4-4-6-40. Seems freaky fast. Yeah. And uh, I think it's an upgrade. I think the defensive line has been upgraded with Crawford and Poe. And I think special teams in terms of the punt returning, kick returning has been upgraded over, over Weems. Yeah. And uh, the last <laughs> bit of Falcons news from the last week is that Kamal Ishmael was re-signed. Uh, if you remember him, he was a secondary player. And a played a little bit of linebacker too last season when we were sort of light on linebackers. So decent depth signing, uh, just one year contract for two and a half million. So knows the system, could step in if needed, mm-hmm. which generally happens. So I'm not going to complain about that one. So that pretty much wraps up our Falcons report. Moving on to the Hawks. Uh, it's not going to be so much of a lot of sunshine and rainbows there, boys and girls. The Hawks flat out sucked last week. Played against a tough Spurs team. They were clearly outplayed. They hung in there the whole game on national TV, which was nice to see. But at pivotal moments, they were down by like two points or so. There were sloppy turnovers, poor coverage of three-point shooters. Continued San Antonio hit 16 of 34 three-pointers. So I did watch that game in its entirety. Um I was impressed. I mean, I was. I mean, going into San Antonio, that's not going to be an easy win. No. Uh, we haven't done it in. Yeah, they said. 90, 97, I think. 97 was the last time we beat the Spurs at the Spurs. That was like Mookie Blaylock, Takembe Mutombo. I think Dominique was on the Spurs when we. Oh, yeah. Them. Yeah, that's, that was pretty fucked up. I saw that. Yeah. That was odd. But yeah, that's the last time. So, I mean, that's not a terrible loss there. They fought, but you're right. They, they didn't finish. The three point pointers are pretty frustrating and I think what we're starting to see is the old Al Horford versus Dwight Howard argument uh not being able to guard those three-pointers from Dwight is starting to hurt like that that's the versatility you got from Al that you're not seeing now yeah Dwight is not able to go out and cover the perimeter as well as Al nor does he want to no and the poor play continued for the rest of last week as we lost to the Grizzlies and the Blazers at home by double digits. We were down something like 40 to 18 against the Blazers at the end of the first quarter. Uh, Millsap did miss that game, but the fact that we were beaten by double digits at home in those games is disappointing. The Hawks yeah. seem to have played a lot better on the road this year. You know, you got a signature win against Boston and Cleveland on the road this season, and you just don't have shit to show for the home crowd. So. Yeah, when half the crowd's out there only to see the other team's players, that I guess that'll happen. But at the same time, it's just kind of like, I don't know, to lose to both those, especially Portland. Uh, you know, the Memphis game, Paul, 
uh, excuse me, Mark Gasol. Mark Gasol had a triple double, so you know it's one of those nights where the yeah. guys just can't be stopped. I know we tried to use Ilya Sova, Millsap, everyone was trying to cover him, it just wasn't happening. But the Blazers, even though they've been a little bit hot down the stretch, have not played particularly well this year under 500 team. I know they have Damian Lillard and McCollum, but to be throttled like that, team we should beat. Even without Millsap, we should be in that game, especially at home. Schroeder had a really shitty week, especially in the last two games against Memphis and Portland. He was 6 of 30 from the field and only 10 total assists. Uh, You know, he's had those lights out games recently that we talked about um, in the first show. But now he's had two atrocious games in a row. Hopefully this is just a blip on the screen in the maturation process. Yeah, I mean, the truth is our offense comes and goes with Schroeder. So. Yeah, if he's not going, we're kind of screwed. Yeah, I guess that's what you get when you pretty much commit yourself to 23-year-old player like this. So we're going to have to take it as it comes. Yeah. Hey, this is our first live broadcast of a Hawks game, and they're currently down 70-91 in Charlotte. Yeah, pretty Also pretty without bad. Millsap, so, th- I mean, this team cannot win without that guy. I think we're in, we could be in for a really bad ending to the season. I think the Hawks are in jeopardy, potentially, of missing the postseason at this point. I know last week I was like, yeah, maybe we can get the three seed. Sometimes I buy a little bit too much the optimism when we get on a little bit of a win streak. <laughs> right. I guess it's the homer in me. But, you know, looking back on it, I know we talked pre-show about this. I When I said that, I was reaching... I felt like I was reaching, and yeah, I'm definitely reaching on that. Yeah, I will. I think we'll sneak in. They'll get their shit together a little bit, but it's definitely looking bleak right now with Ryan Kelly on the court. So, yeah, and uh, let's see. Dwight Howard was chastised in the Blazers game for playing shitty defense by Boldenhoser. So it seems like every week you're hearing about either Boldenhoser bumping a ref, Schroeder and Dwight talking, Dwight, you know, having a uh, little temper tantrum. Yeah. So that's not good from a chemistry issue, I don't think. No. Um, so at this point, we're five games back of the of Washington. This game against Charlotte, notwithstanding, notwithstanding, on March twentieth, twenty seventeen. So that three seed is not going to happen, I don't think. And that's where Washington is. We are three games back of Toronto for fourth. Indiana is only a game and a half back of us for fifth. And this was as of last night. The ninth-place Pistons are only back four games of us. So this could easily slip away. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I know you say we sneak in. And at the same time, there's absolutely no shot of this team winning. So we had our 9-2 and two start, and I think that's the last time there was any sort of hope for this team doing anything. The Dwight signing in the offseason kind of got people excited at least, but it's just not working. No chemistry. It's pretty much the opposite of brotherhood. Brothership. Brothership, whatever you want to call it nowadays. I love how it's in brotherhood and brothership. Yeah, it's very confusing. A lot, of ins, a lot of ins, a lot of outs. So I was thinking about this over the week, and a lot of people have been talking about this in terms of Boldenhoser wearing multiple hats, being the team president and also the head coach. Yeah. And I am of the opinion that wearing multiple hats while doable is not advisable. No. And speaking from personal experience, um, well blurb here about myself uh so made a independent feature film as a producer and a co-writer first assistant director the list goes on when you make a when you make a low budget independent feature film you wear multiple hats and i found that i struggled a little bit 
in terms of being able to deliver a quality screenplay while at the same time finding locations, casting, all these different things that go into making a film, whereas if I could have just done one of those things, I would have been a hell of a lot more better off. Than Not doing to mention, it. I think you lost a lot of your hair and it grayed out. Yeah, and... no, you know, you work 20 hours a day on, on trying to make a, a film, you, you start to lose your mind a little bit, especially when you're juggling so many things. Right. I wish I could have just focused on the story, right. focused on the script, but I had to do locations, do casting, do, you know, a little bit of budget, plan for food. You know, there's so many moving pieces to it, and it's probably a... It's probably not a fair comparison to make to someone who's working in the NBA, but just coming from someone who has worn multiple hats and done like five or six things on a big project that has consumed now over two years of my life. Um, it's tough. Yeah. It's tough to do it. Yeah. You're going to eventually lose sight of one aspect if you're trying to work on multiple things. There's, right. a, there's a reason they're separate job titles. Right. And I think that's what's happening with Bud a little bit to this in the sense that He's so in love with his players. He's a player's coach, and it makes sense, right? Yeah. But at the same time, to have to run the team at the same time, it clouds your vision a little bit. GMs can make those tough decisions when they're not in the trenches every day on the field or on the court. Yeah. I can't remember. Did we discuss Danny Ferry last week? We did not. Because that fucked us. Like, yeah. No, he built the team that was the... I mean, 60-win team. Yeah. Um. I mean, like the guy or not, he made amazing decisions. He unloaded Joe Johnson's contract. For that, he deserves the Congressional Medal of Honor. Yeah, like, get, I mean, just doing things like that. I mean, that, that's some Coppolella type crap right there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then losing him, and they, they're definitely going to bring in someone this offseason. I mean, th- this team's going to be done in the first round. Might get a win or two. Yeah. I. And you, the ceiling is the second round, as it has been for most of our lives with the exception of that magical 2014-2015 run. Yeah. But, no, I mean, they. it's clearly not working. I know Popovich does it basically as GM and coach, but that's an exception. He consistently has one of the best teams in the league. Yeah. Made the playoffs. not there yet. No, he's made the playoffs 20 straight seasons. Yep. I mean, uh, Pops on another level, not to say that Bullenhoser can't get there, but to give him that much power in his first head coaching job, I think, was a bit of a mistake. Right. Ill-advised so far. Yeah. So this brings us back to Coach Bullenhoser wearing multiple hats and sort of a, a kind of interesting segue into the fact that we don't really have a legitimate superstar in the team, which I know we talked a little bit about last week. Um which I know some people were like, oh, we signed Dwight. Dwight's superstar. And it's like, yeah, Dwight averages a double-double, but he's not a superstar. He's not what he was in Orlando or anything like that. But And part of me likes not having superstars. I mean, I go back to that 2014-2015 team. I didn't watch a ton of Golden State that year. And, you know, I watched some Cleveland just because they were in the conference. But that was an incredible brand of basketball. The ball movement, the team camaraderie, the city rallying around that team was just that was the equivalent of the Falcons run minus getting to the Super Bowl, honestly. Yep. That was a hell of a team. That was the best Hawks team I've ever seen in my life. And it went as far as any Hawks team had ever gone. And or, you know, I much prefer seeing a, a unit come together than an individual scoring 40 points on 30 field goal attempts. 
But, you know, at the same time, I understand why you need a superstar because it's really hard not to win in this league without one. And we saw that with this team in the 2014-2015 season. And, you know, there were a lot of health issues at the same time. But, you know, when you get in the playoffs, it was like, who's our go-to guy? And there really wasn't one. But, you know, finding the right superstar that fits in a system that is also surrounded by players that can complement him and he can make those players better at the same time is a really hard thing to do. And that's why I was so resistant to hearing about this Carmelo trade because potentially, you know, people were talking about during the trade deadline that Carmelo, you know, coming to the Hawks could be an option. But I didn't like it because, you know, to me, a superstar makes those around him better. And is he a leader of men? Can he rally guys to his side and put them in positions to succeed? And the answer to that is no. I mean, Carmelo has never made a first-team All-NBA, has never won an MVP. And it's really hard to find the right superstar. I mean, when I, when I saw him, I've seen him play in person a few times now, and he just jacks so many shots up. He averages two assists a game. He does not get others involved. He's a complete ISO player. And finding the right superstar is the key. Like a LeBron, you know, is not only in an elite tier of talent, but he utilizes his teammates and gets them involved. And those players are beyond rare. But even LeBron needed stars to win. And I admire a guy like Dirk Nowitzki, you know, who won a title against LeBron in his first stint in uh, Miami with a supporting cast being an aging Jason Kidd, a super old Peja Stojakovic. Peja was on that team. Yeah, he was. And Tyson Chandler and Sean Marion. You know, that's a team led by a superstar, not a team made up of superstars, like some bullshit fantasy video game draft like it is now. And I won't deny that we need one, but at the same time, finding that person and people bitching and moaning about not being able to find that person is a little bit unfair, I think, to Bud, because it's kind of like... Who do you get? Who do you bring in here? Dwight was not the answer to me, but I struggle to know what to do in the NBA given the way the league is, the way it is right now. Well, it's also rare to trade for one of those players or get them in free agency. I feel like you got to develop them and then just keep them. Certainly. And being able to find that free agent, you know, I know we had pipe dreams of bringing KD in here. It was never going to happen. Yeah. But... But when you're, to your point, when you're finishing in the playoffs every season, it's hard to build through the draft. Yeah, yeah, that's why you got to rebuild sometimes. Yeah, so that brings us to, you know, Millsap's free agency coming up. I mean, Paul Millsap, I will go on record saying, is my all-time favorite Hawk that I've ever watched played. I was too young to really appreciate Dominique because I was like three years old. Um, But in terms of watching Paul Millsap play, I, I adore the guy beyond belief. I met him once. Super nice guy. Uh, Where'd you meet him? I met him when I was working at a warehouse. And this is kind of funny. And I was delivering some film equipment to this warehouse. And the guy I was with didn't know who Paul Millsap was. I saw him. He was shooting something at the uh, the equipment place. Some Hawks promo after he, signed, he re-signed after the playoff season. And so I, you know... I was like, hey, Paul, what's he, up, man? When he said shooting something, I was hoping it was like a Gatorade bottle into a trash can. No, he was actually away. he's actually shooting a commercial or some web video or something. Cool. Yeah, and I was, I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. So, I, you know, I hate infringing upon 
celebrities or anything like that, but I wanted to do it in a way that, you know, I was just like, hey, man, I really appreciate you. Thank yeah. you for all you've done, and sure. I'm excited to see you play this year again. I'm sure a guy like Paul appreciates that. Yeah, and... and doesn't get a ton of recognition around the Right, scene. and I was like, thanks for coming back. I appreciate it. And he was like, thanks, man. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, the guy who was with me gets out of the truck, and, you know, we're having issues starting the truck back up after we made the drop-off of the equipment, and he asked Paul Millsap, Hey man, do you work here? Jesus. <laughs> I was like, dude, that's fucking Paul Millsap. And he goes, who? So you met him already? Like, is he? Like oh yeah, I talked to him because he was in the car calling, calling back to yeah. the, uh, to our uh, home base. And so he didn't, he didn't see me talk with Paul. Right, at all. right. And I was like, dude, that's fucking Paul Millsap. And he's like, who? I was like, Power Four number four, Paul Millsap, led us to the Eastern Conference Finals. It's like, what, do you pay, play for like some AAU team or something like well, that? Well, he was just like, well, I'm from Chicago, and I don't really follow the NBA anymore. And I was like, get the fuck yeah, out of here. And, so, and Paul Millsap did not respond to... Good for uh, Paul. Yeah. And so I felt really bad. He probably thought I was a punk bitch after that. <laughs> but anyways... Just ruined your credibility. Absolutely. Um, but anyways, so going back to extending Millsap, it's kind of like, what do we do with that? Is, 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 he can opt out of this deal... After the off season, yeah, well, we we should have traded him. Is what you think we should have traded him? Yeah, because we who are you going to get back for Paul Millsap? I don't see the point in bringing him back at this point. Like, this, I don't. I mean, what else are we going to do? Like, besides that, like, it's going to be Schroeder and Millsap, and they're just Millsap's going to age. We're not going to win anything over the next few years. Wes Wilcox, who is officially the quote unquote GM of the team, has said. The, one of the first priorities of the offseason is extending Paul Millsap. It's going to be a max deal. Yep. Um, how old is Paul now? Like 32? 31 or 32, something like that. That's getting Joe Johnson territory. Gave him a max deal. I think Paul's still got a lot, had some mileage left on him where he can be a valuable player for the next two or three seasons. Yeah. Um, I, I just think Paul Millsap keeps us in the he, five to eight seed range. Right. Obviously, we'd suck without him, but yeah, I, think, I, don't, I don't see the point anymore. I think if you don't bring him back, you might as well tank. Yeah, we'll get back in the lottery. Bud might lose his job. Or he might leave yeah. for a better opportunity. Who knows? Yeah. It's a tough decision. I would love to bring him back, but it's just kind of like, what does this do for us? You don't, if you bring Paul back and bring back the same squad next year outside of, uh, I don't know. You bring back the same squad next year, it's kind of like. Probably can't bring Hardaway and Millsap back at the You're same not going to be able to bring both of them back, so you lose Hardaway. So you're automatically worse than you were. And Hardaway, you, Hardaway's a lot younger. Yeah, you got Torian Prince, who's. I like him. I like him a lot, too. I love the arc on his shot, especially. Yeah. I mean, he can be a contributor. He's a rim protector. Yeah. At three blocks the other night. But it's it's just kind of like, until LeBron leaves, we're fucked. Which oh, is, yeah. It's just as, as simple as that. So it's kind of like, but what do you spend the money on? If you don't spend it on Millsap, do you just, just conserve funds and, I don't know, what the fuck do you do with conserve funds in the NBA? Yeah, we're not in a good place. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's the ultimate basketball purgatory, which is, I... Which I thought we were out of after that 2014-2015 season. I right. honestly did. And then you get to the point where you get rid of T, you get rid of Horford. 
Which made sense. I, and I get it, too, because it's like if you bring them back, right, you're just going to have the same shit that you had last year. Yeah. So this has been an interesting experiment, but I don't know. Hawks are fucked. Oh, yeah. At least we got we got like a second-round draft pick coming back for the Adrian Payne trade. So we got that going Oh, for really? Yeah. Goddamn. That's pretty well, who knows? Maybe we'll find another Paul Millsap yeah. in, the, in the second round. Yeah. But... Yeah, so as we said, pretty bleak. Let's move on. Greg. Yeah, let's move on from the from the from the Hawks. So moving on to the Braves, Dansby Swanson is back. He's been out since March fourth with a back issue. No pun intended. Went two for three in a minor league game on I think Saturday. Uh, didn't play defense, so hopefully this means the cause for concern is over. I know some people were getting antsy and you know, is Dansby really hurt? And yeah. no one was giving them anything, but. He's being eased in, and I heard this week he's going to start playing in the uh, in the field too. So, okay, that's good news. Yep. Thank uh, you, Arizona, once again. Yes, thanks, Arizona. Uh, Fulte, Mike Fultonavich pitched really well in his start last week. Four innings pitched, one run, five hits, seven strikeouts over four innings, has a two point oh eight ERA through thirteen innings this spring. Hopefully, a sign of things to come. Our main man, uh, Dave O'Brien. Made a good point with the rotation coming out set it set as it is with Dickey before Fulty, mm-hmm. like that ninety eight fastball is going to look like one hundred eight the following R A Dickey. So I'm excited about him. So Fulty will slot in behind Dickey as yeah the yeah Dickey's okay. number four, right. Fulty's number five. Yeah, that could certainly certainly help. Dickey might suck, but maybe Fulty will come in strong. Even if he sucks, the thing about I think DOB makes a good point there because the thing about, you know, we know this from playing a little bit of baseball ourselves and that we were really that experienced playing. Oh, we were but, superstars. Oh, we were superstars when we were 12 years old. But when you got a guy who's throwing the ball 90 miles an hour at you, I think we saw some like 85 mile per hour pitches at some point in our time. Probably like 68. It felt like 85. Anyways, you got a guy who can throw really hard, and you bring a guy in who can't throw hard. The difference is oh, crazy. Yeah. It's like wearing a donut on your bat. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the inverse of what you want to happen when you're right. wearing a donut on the bat. So plus, as he pointed out, Fulty's a, he's the type of guy. He's not like your prototypical number five, where he's just like a journeyman or like a guy just brought up from the minors that you skip. He's a potential ace. You know? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, when he is on, the dude can. Fucking pitch. He could be the next coming of a Cindergard type of pitcher. Yeah. In terms of his velocity and his off speed stuff. So we'll just knock on wood that he can stay healthy and keep hey. developing from there. Amen. I had two guys on this uh bachelor party say, and I want to get your take on this because I thought it was bullshit. <laughs> they said that he's already considering Blair and Whistler busts. No, I won't consider it's way that. too early for it's that. way too early. Yeah. And they haven't had enough major league experience to warrant that uh, condemnation to me. And Whistler especially has had his moments. Like, he's looked yeah. damn good. Blair hasn't times. showed me much, but considering his pedigree and his youth, there's no reason to give up on these guys yet. Right. No, hell no. And that's why we brought in these old bastards. Right. And it was a message, it was a message sent by the front office saying, you guys aren't guaranteed shit. Yep. And... Here comes some veterans to eat up your innings that you should be getting and get your shit together and keep working hard. In addition, uh, on the rotation, you got Bartolo Colon, who has not done well his last few starts. 
has a 9.2-plus ERA or something like that this spring. Yep. Uh, his last start, unless he pitched today, which I didn't look at, is he had 80 pitches and three and two-thirds, eight hits, and six earned runs. Do you think this warrants a cause for concern? Not yet. Not yet? It's spring. He has also said that, like, I'm good. I'm yeah. I'm just working on stuff. The man's 43 years old. He doesn't give a shit about what he looks like in the spring. And I'd like to point out that he has he has a 6.08 spring ERA for his career. Yeah, he's had a lousy... So, yeah, I'm not too concerned. He, I'll, I'll get worried if it's May and he's pitching like this. Yeah, his ERA in the last couple of years has been over four, um, which is actually okay considering he's like... 40-plus years old. Yeah. He's had a great 2014 season. I think he was in like the 3-4 range. And then 2013, he was damn near Cy Young contender with Oakland. So mm-hmm. even though I know he's getting older, he's not that far removed from being like a pretty damn good pitcher. So yeah. I, I'm hoping he can be just like a 4-10 four, ERA guy for us, eats up innings, and uh, gets some strikeouts, even though he's only throwing an 87-mile-per-hour fastball the but. kicker is as i was hoping for tom brady this year eventually he has to get old yeah let's just hope this isn't the season indeed I see, see, did you see those jump ropes he did the jumping jacks i still haven't seen that in the dominican republic i need to watch it he's an athlete <laughs> big sexy i like bartolo i've always liked the way he's played so minus no the... I, th- I think atlanta will embrace this guy oh yeah i hope we do i will i know you will. there's gonna be a fan section in right field similar to like the cans cans bart's bart's Bart's, yeah, something like Bart's that. Bart's Colin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, R.A. Dickey also has a uh, concerning ERA, 7.71. Um, he was tagged for eight hits and six runs in his last start against the Tigers. Uh, same question, different guy. Any cause for concern here with R.A.? Um, same question, same stat, basically. He had a nine ERA the year he won the Cy Young, so... In spring training? Yeah, in spring training. Oh, you look that up. Yeah. You sound pretty smart. Oh, yeah. Wikipedia. Um, so the point is, I'm not going to get too concerned about spring stats. Granted, I haven't watched a single spring inning, so I don't know what he actually looks like, but I'm less confident about Dickie. I just think he's been a little more going downhill. Yeah. I still think coming to the NL is going to help the guy. He might have more left in the tank than we think. Well, when you pitch in the AL East and you got guys like Ortiz on Boston, and the whole Boston lineup was just lethal last year. You yeah. got Machado and Davis and Trumbo on Baltimore. You got uh, the Yankees, Gary Sanchez, all those guys. I mean, up and down the uh, – you got Avery Longoria and Tampa Bay. I mean, up and down the division, you are going to get slaughtered at some point. Right, yeah. So, I mean, like I said, I don't have the same confidence in Dickey I have in my boy Bartolo. We could fast forward a month, and we all just hate Dickey with a passion. But it's too early to say anything. I agree, and I think the um, the overreaction that people are having in spring training baseball is a little ridiculous. I mean, there was that year, I think it was the 2012 season, when Chipper Chipper's last year, where I don't think we won a spring training game until like the last week of the spring. Yeah. It was some bullshit. Yeah. We were like 0-15 or something. Everybody was wigging out, and we... Got the wild card. Or it might have been the year we won the division in 2013. I can't remember. But it was one of those two seasons where, obviously, we didn't win a World Series or anything. But there's a lot of things that people work on in spring training where they're not focused on just getting guys out. They're trying to work on a pitch or work on arm slots, things like that. So I agree with you. There's no reason to really wig out here. But it is worth mentioning 
in case we fast forward three months from now, we're like the signs were there. Yeah, people, people, the players probably give even less of shits with the World Baseball Classic going on. So yeah, definitely, and that's another thing too. Especially you know, you take into account the guys that Bartolo and Dickie are facing right now. You know, uh, a lot of young guys trying to prove themselves, swinging aggressively in the zone, right? Um, or swinging out of the zone. They're trying to get hits. They're trying to get noticed. So I'm not going to worry about it too much. No, Jaime Garcia looked good. Pitched three scoreless innings his last start, so if he stays healthy, he'll be he'll be solid. Yeah, he's a solid guy, man. I hope we can keep him around a little bit because I think he's a good veteran presence. Been on a winning organization with St. Louis. Um, I have no issues with bringing him in, and if he can stay healthy, he's a he's a solid guy. Be like a Kevin Millwood type. Yeah, yeah, just absolutely. solid veteran. Mm-hmm. You're three or four guy. Yep. Um, Julio Tehran was announced to be the opening day starter for the fourth consecutive season. Yep, love that guy. Yep, hopefully he can stay healthy and we can preserve his elbow for when we actually play meaningful baseball. So you brought up something to me last week about the WBC, the World Baseball Classic, and extra innings starting a guy on second base. And I personally hate that shit. I feel like it's similar to the wild card game. Yeah. Where if we remove what I just said about the base run, let's talk about the wild card game real quick. Baseball is a game of series. You know, why decide the fate of two teams with one game when the entire fucking season is predicated on the fact that you're playing three and four game series throughout that determines where you wind up in the postseason? Divisions are decided by, oh man, we play like 19 games a year. If you won 13 out of the 19 games, you have a good shot against your next competitor kind of thing of being above them in the division. Right. You know, and it's... It's a ratings ploy. It is a ratings play, but it's it's just really frustrating. You know that wild card game is bullshit to me. And it's the same thing with this base running rule. I mean, you play nine innings, and after each half inning, you reset in terms of the the count, the base runners, everything is done. The only thing that carries over is the score. Why would you change that when the entire game has been decided by what you've been doing, how you've been playing the same rules over and over again? Starting a guy on second base just seems like lunacy to me. It's a bullshit excuse to speed the game up. Instead of playing the game the way it was meant to be played. Well, you're clearly a purist. I am, but it's like, it puts the pitching team at an unfair disadvantage. If you think about it, right? I mean, that is horseshit. It's the equivalent of starting the ball on the 25-yard line with college football. Except you have, if you're the away team, you've got no fucking answer for that. Right. Well, I, I, I'm okay with it for like the minor leagues. Like because it doesn't matter. Implementing the minor leagues, like yeah, those guys don't need to be playing fifteen inning games, right? But for the majors, I mean, they're just trying to appeal to our millennial generation that wants quicker and faster. And but baseball is what it is. If you're not a baseball fan, you're not going to be a baseball fan. You can you can't change it that much. It's a slow ass game. It takes three and a half hours to play sometimes. Right. It is what it is. I'm all in. I'm all in favor of saying hey. You want to hurry up a guy who's stepping out of the box for like 40 seconds or a pitcher who's yeah. digging around the mound, picking up the rosin bag and licking his fingers and whatnot. Right. Fine. So be it. I mean, but don't they... fuck with extra innings, man. I mean, if they want to appeal to the millennials, they should like keep the bars open past the seventh inning. Maybe yeah. that's the thought. Like you get in the 15th inning, you can't get yourself a fresh beer. Amen, brother. They so... closed close the, uh, at least the Turner Field, they closed the bar. At, yeah, at the, the chop house. Point. It's over. So... But yeah, I mean, I agree. Don't put it in. Don't mess with the majors like that. Yeah, and you know what's going to happen if they implement it? 
the year before they implement it, we're going to be in a postseason game yep. where we hit a single to lead off the inning, and then we can't move them. Right. Then the next year, we're not going to – and then the next year, another team's going to get up. They're going to hit a single. There's going to be a guy in second, and they're going to score, and they're going to fucking win the game. Now, undeniably, we'll get fucked by this. Yeah, and this reminds me of the One Cardinals. This reminds me of the Cardinals when they, they expanded the wild card teams to five. Yep. Right? And the 2011 season, we choked, and then the Cardinals got in the postseason, and they won the World Series. The 2012 season, we also got the wild card game. But the Cardinals got in the wild card game, and then they went on to the NLCS. It's going to be the same fucking shit if they implement this. Yep. So please, for the sake of Braves fans, yeah, do not implement this rule because one, it fucks with the integrity of the game and how it should be played, and two, we will get fucked. Yeah, it just smells of an Atlanta shithole. Indeed. <laughs> Couldn't think of the word, but that, Atlanta shithole. That one works. So we're moving on to our topic of the week here, and we are talking about the five worst draft picks in Atlanta sports history in our lifetime. Adam was born in '89. I was born in 1990. So we can't really identify with the draft picks before we were born in terms of meaningful things to talk about. So we could mention them, but we're not really going to give a shit. So right, we'll have a lack of insight. Right. So sorry, longtime homers. Um, <laughs> We'll start with an honorable mention here of the 2012 draft class for the Falcons. Not a single player left in the NFL that was drafted by Thomas Dimitrov in that year is now on an NFL roster. Well, and that stat was current as of 2016, the beginning of that season, correct? No, it was like 2015, I believe. Oh, Jesus. Maybe sooner. I don't know. Yeah, unimpressive. But anyways, to recap that draft... For those not keeping score at home, this was the year after the Julio Jones trade, so we did not have a first-round draft pick. In the second round, we drafted Peter Kahn's, who was supposed to be the heir apparent to Todd McClure. That did not work out. No. We also drafted Lamar Holmes, offensive lineman, big guy who never did anything. Brady Ewing. He sucked. Yep. Brady Ewing, a fullback who kept getting injured. Mediocre. Jonathan Massaquad, defensive end, who did diddly shit. Good name, though. Charles Mitchell, I think it was a safety. He didn't do anything. Sounds like he played in like the 70s. And Travian, Robins, yeah, Travian Robertson from South Carolina was the seventh round pick who I can't even remember. Go Tigers. Uh, number five, I think uh, when we talked before the show, you wanted to replace this pick with someone else. So I'll yield the floor to you, sir. Sheldon Williams. That draft, I mean... Keep in mind, so I grew up a Duke Blue Devils fan because my father went to school there. So I was all about Sheldon Williams, a.k.a. Forehead. Um, <laughs> like, he was just a solid senior. Um, always put up points, huge rebounds. I was pretty happy with that pick. He blocked shots like a madman. Yeah, um, he was a beast. College. But he was also like 6'9", which just doesn't cut it in the NBA. And we drafted this guy over Rudy Gay... Brandon Roy, J.J. Redick, Rajon Rondo, Ugh. and, of course, our boy, Paul Millsap. So, I mean, a lot of names, like, Rudy Gay is solid. Brandon Roy, he was a legitimate star for a while, but he kind of fell off. Uh, but, like, J.J. Redick, who, Graham and I got into many an argument over in high school. I was a North Carolina, I am still a North Carolina fan. My mom went there and forced me to like the Tar Heels, so... But yeah, I mean, J.J. Redick, he's just done nothing but put up 15 points a game. 
So, I mean, he could have been like an approved version of Kyle Korver. Yeah, a great three-point shooter. Um, He's the next Kyle Korver, honestly, to get old and just drain threes. Yeah, I mean, Rondo would have been huge for us. We didn't have a point guard ever back in those days. Yeah. That's when we were like, we had Mike Mike what, Bibby getting in there. What draft was that? Was that 05 or 06 or 04? Something like that. Which one? The Shuttle Williams draft. Uh, it was before Jeff Teague, obviously. Yeah, I we don't. Had, we had Jack shit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think I was six. Okay. Yeah. So no, we, we re- I mean, we really could have used it. So I mean, that one, that one hurts. And like Sheldon, he was like a six points a game guy. The interesting thing about that draft was, it's like we had a bunch of six eight six nine guys. So I drafted another one. We need a fucking point guard. Yeah. I remember who our point guard was at that point, but. Why we didn't draft one is beyond me. So, yeah, it was a shitty draft pick, and that was an appropriate number five. And this was, um, what was our GM at that point in time? Billy Knight. Billy Knight. Yeah, I think Billy Knight's responsible for most of these. Yeah, he's responsible for the next one. Which moves us on. Yeah, to AC Law. A guy who averaged about, it was the 2007 draft, averaged about 4.2 points a game and like two assists or something like that. I remember the... Graham, you were quite excited about this. I was draft. excited because... Here's a good little player out of Texas a now. He, Amen, brother. <laughs> uh, you know, this was a guy that I watched when I watched more college basketball than I do now. Uh, Texas A&M had some big games in the Big 12, played at a solid program. I think a Bobby Knight guy. So I was excited to get him. I mean, he, he, he balled out in college from what I can remember, and his game did not translate to the NBA for whatever reason. I think he was more of a mid-first-round draft pick. I think you're right, but... And honestly, I couldn't find a ton of big names that uh, we could have had, but one of them is Marc Gasol. Marc Gasol was a second-round draft pick in the same year. So he was available. Yeah, he was available. Team him with J.J. Redick or or, Chris Paul or Rondo or, yeah, Millsap. And this was was in LeBron's early days in Cleveland, so we could have actually done some shit. That hurts. Yep. All right, let's move on to our third overall pick. And I selected Prey Jerry. Uh, we could have drafted Clay Matthews instead. Um, but we drafted Prey Jerry in the first round in 2009. He had five and a half total sacks in five years and only 67 combined tackles in five years. Isn't he dead now? He's not dead, but he resigned. He <laughs> went in. He went in. Okay. Oh. He retired, but effectively he also resigned. Yeah. When he went into Smitty's office on Hard Knocks and was right. like, yeah, man, I just want to focus on my family. I mean, hats off. Do what you want to do, man. But he was a bust. He was a bust of a pick. He could have gotten Clay Matthews and really improved our linebacking core. And instead, we decided to draft Prey Jerry. A One of the reasons that many people, including myself at that point, was fed up with Thomas Dimitrov. So he's not dead, but he's dead to us. In terms of sports, yes. I hope he's okay. I mean, I don't wish any will on the guy, but he did not perform up to expectations. So, yeah, that is our number three. Number two is Jamal Anderson. This is not Jamal Anderson Dirty Bird from the 98-99 Super Bowl team. This is Jamal Anderson with two A's. Jamal Anderson. In order to Google search him, you have to write defensive end because if you just write Jamal Anderson, that good one will pop up. Well, if you do double A's, I think he pops up. I spelled it wrong. Okay. Yeah. Just Jamal Anderson. <laughs> got it. Got it. Um, yeah. Four and a half sacks in four years. Was drafted in the first round, I think, like the 
eighth overall pick or something like yep. that. I think it was in the 2009 draft. Yep. Or 2000, no, 2007 draft. He was the last draft that Rich McKay was a part of. Apparently, he did not come to privately work out with the team, and we just drafted him kind of thing. I don't know if this is a Petrino move, Rich McKay, or both of them. Sounds like one of those drafting for needs versus best player available. Perhaps. But, I mean, this guy was a arguably the biggest bust in the Falcons' draft history. Would you like to hear who we could have drafted over? I him? would love to hear that. It's going to hurt, Graham. Okay, go ahead. So, he was drafted immediately after Adrian Peterson. So, Peterson wasn't a... We couldn't have had him, but... Yeah. Like, if that's the next best player, best player after Peterson... We've got problems. Yeah. But we could have had Patrick Willis, who's a hell of a linebacker. Yep. Marshawn Lynch. No shit. We could have had Marshawn Lynch. Marshawn Lynch was drafted like 15th in the first round. Uh, Darrell Revis. Oh, I didn't realize all this. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Keep going. Make me feel the pain. And the last one, of the first round anyways, was Greg Olson. Who's a hell of a tight end. Arguably, yeah. He's a Hall of Fame tight end, probably. Yeah, probably. Wow. And we, and we got Jamal fucking Anderson. So Let that sit in your pipe and smoke it, Atlanta sports fans. Yep. And number one in our... Five worst draft picks in Atlanta sports history is in our lifetime from 1989 and on is Marvin Williams of the Atlanta Hawks. And this pick baffled me when I was 15 years old because Marvin Williams came from North Carolina. I watched every North Carolina game. He was a sixth man, very talented freshman. But the fact that you pick him over a guy like Chris Paul who is still a legitimate star in this league to this day, and who is projected to be so, is mind-blowing to me. And for that reason, and not only that, but Marvin just underperformed. The expectations were unfair. We shouldn't have drafted in that position, but they were they were through the roof, the number two overall pick, and we draft Marvin when Chris Paul is available. He goes to the Hornets in New Orleans and then has gone off to the Clippers and had a hell of a career even though some could argue that he's never won the big game, blah, blah, blah. I don't give a shit. If we have that guy on the Hawks team of 2015 or 2014 through 2015, who knows what happens if we still have him at that point. Not to mention multiple team, like team him up with Joe Johnson. Oh, yeah. Like, don't, don't forget about Joe. Like, we had some good teams back then that could have done something if we had a point guard. Certainly. Like, certainly. Chris Paul... Joe Johnson, Al Horford. As much as I like Jeff Teague, that's an upgrade over Teague. Yeah, I mean, that's got potential. Yeah. Because, I mean, there were like the couple years before we got Jeff Teague, we had some solid players minus a point guard. Yeah. And, you know, that first year it was like, okay, Marvin's adjusting to the league. The second year it was like, okay, here's his, here's his chance to jump off. And it just never happened. You know, he's a nine or ten point a game guy. It just wasn't. Right. I mean, he's a he's actually, and it's not that he's the shittiest player on this no, list. No, not at all. Not by any means. I mean, he's still playing. He's still doing some. He stuff. He had a great season last year for yeah. for uh, New Orleans, not New Orleans, sorry, Charlotte, and you know, got a solid, I think, extension from it. But in terms of what you had and what you got, this is our, this is the shittiest pick I've ever oh, yeah. seen in my life. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't. It, I mean, Darren Williams was in this draft too. 
Andrew Bynum, like players we could have used back then. And yeah, Marvin just didn't get it done. Fucking Chris Paul was just right in front of us. Yep. So that hurts. We also got Salim Stoudemire in that draft. Remember that? I remember Salim from Arizona. I really liked that pick. That he, didn't turn he, out so hot. He was the pick right after David Lee, <laughs> which we could have used. <laughs> yeah, David Lee we definitely could have used back yeah. then. Those are the shittiest draft picks in our lifetime that we can think of. So we got the 2012 draft class for the Falcons, Sheldon Williams, A.C. Law, Parade Jerry, Jamal Anderson, and rounding out the top six is Marvin Williams. If you have any other suggestions, please feel free to comment on our Facebook page. Which is non-existent. <laughs> <laughs> or our Twitters, which we gave out last time. A.W. Kalal, K-A-L-L-A-L, and Twisted Void, just how it sounds. And uh, eventually we'll delve into the more positive sides of Atlanta sports, but we're not to that point yet. Nope. We are not. Well, I think that wraps us up for this episode of Atlanta Zone. I think this was a hell of a lot better than the last one. I hope you enjoyed it. For Adam Kalal, I'm Graham Waldrop. Pass the time